from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States, this is program number 10 of The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their eyesight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes literally not only to empower people to travel around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Blind ranges from people who are visually impaired and glasses and contact lenses no longer help them to live a normal life to people like me who are totally blind and to sighted parents who have a blind child and blind parents who have sighted children and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, how we can protect ourselves from the rapidly increasing number of bicycles taking over our city streets. Free directory assistance if you can't see your cell phone screen. Blind reporter who figured out how to do his job, which requires lots of travel. Making face masks more comfortable. Tips on a very unusual tip for white canes. And how to fly right through Friday the 13th. Because of COVID-19, many people are afraid to use mass transit. And rideshare companies like Uber and Lyft. A lot of those people are riding bikes instead. So many, bicycle traffic has doubled in Manhattan creating new challenges for blind pedestrians. A lot of times, the bicycles, they go in whatever direction. Uh, some of them try to stay with the flow of traffic, but oftentimes, especially on streets that aren't as heavily trafficked, they go the wrong way. Then is Sumlin's a blind pedestrian in Manhattan. One day, it was, it was, it was a one-way street. I was crossing a one-way street, pretty simple crossing by my, by my place, and... This bike is coming at me the wrong way. Of course, that I have the right of way, obviously, and, but the bike is still riding the wrong way, and it does hit me. Dennis was lucky he wasn't hurt, but pedestrians have been killed, and thousands have been injured by bicycles in New York City. Like in New York City, bicycle traffic has increased in many cities. So we wanted to see what we could do so we wouldn't be run over or run into by cyclists. Amsterdam in the Netherlands is the bicycle capital of the world. Before COVID-19, 38% of all trips were made on two wheels. Uh, bicycles are the mode of transport in the Netherlands because uh, you generally can get through town and from one place to another without having to, to stop. So everybody has bicycles and there are bicycle lanes everywhere. So I deal with them every day. 
Derek Wien went blind about two and a half years ago. He uses a white cane. He has to deal with bicycles where he lives, about a hundred miles from Amsterdam, and when he visits Amsterdam. The biggest challenge is, is basically the cyclist stopping or understanding the signals that you're giving out as a blind person when you want to cross the road. Uh, because you're taught as a blind person is if you can find a safe place to cross, like a zebra crossing or a pelican crossing, which is the ones which beep uh, and turn, turn the traffic lights red, then you cross there. But when you are crossing, you are supposed to put your stick out in front of you so it acts as a, like a, a, a bar to stop people uh, coming across you. And the biggest challenge that you face is that uh, the cyclists are often not aware of what that message means. And it's only because you put the stick out and bar their way that they sort of understand that somebody who's uh, blind is about to uh, cross over the road. Derek says the cyclists don't always stop. Yeah, sometimes I, I, I do have problems and it's mainly with, say, the younger generation. The older generation, bar Amsterdam, tend to be a little bit more clever and stop for you quite easy. They're looking to see you come in so they're looking ahead of themselves and then they stop. The middle generation, so the university and college students, have a bit more of a laser fair type attitude. So what they do is that they see you coming and they will try and judge, can they get around you uh, quickly before they have to stop because they're in a hurry to get somewhere. The younger generation, so the ones which go to secondary school, so from the age of about, uh, say, infants from about 8 to 16, believe that they're immortal and they do not stop for anybody. So they tend to just try and cycle as quickly as possible past you. And when you stick the stick out, uh, because they're not really paying attention, they may be talking to their friends on their phones, they nearly always run into the, the cane which is sticking out. Laura Menens lives in Amsterdam where she uses a guide dog. But she says when she goes to central Amsterdam, there are so many cyclists, many of them don't see her guide dog and don't realize that she's blind. Well, I have my cane in my backpack and that sticks out so that they can see that I'm blind. And then they take a little more consideration with you. But I usually use the, the guide dog only. Most guide dogs are trained to be on the left. So their handler's right hand is free to shake hands. That means in countries with left-hand drive, cyclists are less likely to see their guide dogs and realize they're blind. I think it's very important for them to show that they are blind in situations where you don't, you can, you can't always hear everything because the traffic is so uh, immense. That you do have a cane to show people that you are blind so that you can show the cane and um, stick it in front so that they know what to do. Both Derek and Laura said when they rode bikes before they were blind, they didn't know that they were supposed to stop for people holding out white canes. A New York City Police Department spokesperson told us that there is no law against holding your white cane out in front of you when you want to cross the street but there's also no law preventing it. You're listening to the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world 
and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Under Federal Communications Commission rules in the United States, cell phone providers have to make all of their services available and easily usable to people with disabilities. Phyllis Chavez has some information on how that relates to directory assistance that you might find useful. Not only useful, but at the right price, free. All major cell phone carriers have figured out the easiest way to make directory assistance to people who are blind or visually impaired is to make it at no charge. Directory assistance serves two functions for people who can't read from directories or see their cell phone screens all the time, like when they're in bright sunlight. It not only finds the number, it usually also dials the number. You can apply for free directory assistance by searching the internet for free directory assistance for the blind and the name of your cell phone carrier online. But frequently, it's just easier to say, hey Siri, call the Denver Art Museum. One possibility I see is Denver Art Museum on West 14th at Parkway in Denver. Is that the one you're looking for? Yes. Calling Denver Art Museum. It even works for international calls. Hey Siri, call the Eiffel Tower. I found one option, Eiffel Tower on Avenue Anadole, France in Paris. Do you want to call that one? Yes. Calling Eiffel Tower. You can call the same way on Android phones by saying, Hey Google. Of course, Hey Google and Hey Siri have to be set up on your phones for it to work. Thank you, Phyllis. One of our regular features is showing how blind people have adapted to doing their job while traveling. Nate Trela is one of the half dozen or so full-time blind reporter in the United States. Before losing his sight, he worked for the Detroit Free Press. Then he got a job with the gas and oil trade publication Merger Markets. That's when he really started going blind. His job was traveling from trade conferences to trade conferences and reporting on the highlights of what took place there. After repeated eye surgeries had little long-time effects, he became a student for nine months at the Colorado Center for the Blind in Littleton, Colorado. But shortly after I finished my training program at the Colorado Center for the Blind, I got a call from a, uh, a once-and-future colleague there at Merger Markets who wanted to hire another body in for the energy, te energy uh, team. And he said, you know, I know how you, you know, I liked your stuff before. Tell me how you do the job. And he was very very great about asking the right questions and asking them in the right way. And when I said, well, let me talk about accommodation, he was really interested. Okay, what's your technique? How would you do this? What do you need to make this connection? Tell me how you're going to, tell me how you're going to cover this when you, you can't see. And I talked about, well, do you really have to pay that much attention to the PowerPoint? He figured out how to deal with PowerPoint presentations and other obstacles. 
Before going to a conference, he calls the closest college with a journalism school and asks if they have any J school students who can assist him. He then pays them the going hourly rate for the area to sit next to him, to read PowerPoints to him, and the names of the speakers and panel members and their titles. The hardest thing for any reporter to do when covering speakers or panel discussions is to grab that speaker or a member of the panel that you'd like to interview as they leave the stage. That's because they just disappear into the crowd really quickly. And they're the people Nate goes to the conference to interview. So he and his college student assistant sit in the front row, and he tells the student who he'd like to interview. And the student talks to that person as they walk off the stage towards the audience and tells them that Nate will be there in a minute to interview them. But before they even start working together, Nate has them sign a contract saying that they can't sell any stories from that conference so that he doesn't get scooped by his own assistant. Nate says that his assistants learn a lot by watching him that they don't learn in class, like that it's okay to interview the CEO of a major corporation as they walk from the stage to their car. To keep his costs down, Nate says that he usually doesn't meet his assistant until they're in the same room together. Nate pays the student and then puts the cost on his expense account. Nate says he does his homework before leaving home. He finds out what gate his plane will arrive at and its relationship to luggage claim and luggage claims relationship to the Uber pickup area. A lot of times people get a little surprised to see me traveling independently, see me going to conferences. Like I said, sometimes I don't bother to hire the guy because I don't feel like I need it. And it, it can throw people off a little bit. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of blind professionals out there that are traveling, that are going to conferences, that are going places. We work in a lot of industries and a lot of jobs that you wouldn't expect. Shooting video for a person who's blind or visually impaired seems impossible. But the tactile traveler's Jason Struther figured out a way to do it you might find useful. As a freelance journalist, I need to tell stories in as many ways as possible, including in print, audio, and video. But as someone who's legally blind, my vision is something like 20 over 300. Capturing good quality images doesn't come easy. Recently, I picked up a GoPro camera. And no, the good folks at GoPro are not paying me to plug their gadget. Let me turn it on. It's a tiny device. It fits in the palm of your hand, but it has a really wide lens. What's also pretty cool about it is that it's voice activated. GoPro, start video. Now it's recording. Thanks to the big lens, you can point the camera at pretty much anything and you'll be sure to get it all in frame. Likewise, if you turn the camera around onto yourself and hold it at arm's length, you'll be able to shoot from about your mid-torso up to the top of your head, at least. There's no manual focus on this camera, so everything you shoot comes out pretty clear. And it films up to 4K video, so the quality is pretty much as good as it gets. But the file sizes are pretty big. GoPro, stop video. 
Like I said, the camera is really small, and I can't really see the viewfinder on the back so well. But the GoPro allows users to stream video onto other devices, so what I do is relay anything that's coming through the lens onto my iPad. And on that, I can see things pretty good, maybe even better than I normally do. Let's watch that video I just shot. I'll hit the play button. Now it's recording. Thanks to the big lens, you can point the camera at pretty much anything. Fantastic. I never looked better. The same trick works for taking pictures. GoPro, photo mode. GoPro, take photo. There you go. GoPro, turn off. I need to save battery life. So with gear like this, you can capture good quality video from your next trip to the beach, to the park, or while you're having lunch. And that's exactly what we all need right now. More videos of people eating. For The Tactile Traveler, I'm Jason Struther. Thank you, Jason. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Those face masks that keep people from dying or getting really sick from COVID-19 don't have to be uncomfortable. Lydia Eckert has a suggestion you may find useful. We all hate them, but since we don't hate everyone else or ourselves, and because in many places it's the law, we wear face masks when we travel outside our home. Well, there's no reason to have those pain in the ears, glasses, hearing aids, and earrings, straps that keep falling off. All you have to do is attach the ear loops together with strings, a piece of elastic, Velcro, cable ties, or rubber bands, and move the straps to the bottom of the back of your head. They will stay on better and be more comfortable. Thank you, Lydia. What you're hearing is the sounds of my white cane as I walk down the sidewalk in front of my home last winter. It doesn't sound anything like the tapping of white canes by actors in movies. In the real world, most white cane users don't sound like people in the movies. Most of us don't even tap our canes because we have a number of different kinds of tips we can use. Most of them are pretty small and we keep them on the ground all the time. The technique is called constant contact. That gives us a lot of information about the kind of surfaces we're going over. For example, we can tell if we're on a sidewalk or in a street. But the tip I'm using on this cane is totally different from anything I've ever experienced in the past. It's called a decoded disc. It's six inches wide and shaped like a frisbee. Lorraine Hutchinson is my Colorado Department of Vocational Rehabilitation white cane instructor. She said a decoded disc is designed to be used where most tips would get jammed. It's used, I have to uh, uh, work with people that live in rural areas 
and sometimes people don't have nice footpaths and sidewalks to walk on and need to walk across fields or they might like to do some walking and hiking on trails that have small stones or grass and these slide beautifully over tiny roots and stones and they are ideal for not getting snagged. But it's really mainly designed for grass and hiking, hiking over trails that have small roots and sand. What you're hearing is the Dakota disc sliding over cement, soft snow, hard snow, and ice. It looks like my neighbors haven't been real conscientious about shoveling their sidewalks. The advantage is the disc slides over almost any surfaces. The disadvantage, you get almost no feedback as it does that. It feels the same on cement, snow, or ice. So I'm getting no warning that there's really slippery ice ahead of me. The only feedback I get is when I swipe from side to side and get feedback from where the sidewalk meets a small retaining wall on my right and packs snow next to the sidewalk on the left. In the summer, I might not even be able to tell where the sidewalk stops and the grass begins. I'd consider buying one if I was going to be spending time on sandy beaches or hiking on rough trails. The tactile traveler Jason Struther is from New Jersey in the United States. He works as a freelance reporter in Seoul, South Korea. So he frequently flies across the Pacific Ocean. As a result, he has a tip you might find useless. Okay, here's a pro tip for all you superstitious types from a trans-Pacific jet setter like me. If Friday the 13th freaks you out, there's something you can do about it. First, you need to catch an Asia-bound flight off the West Coast from a city like LA, San Fran, or Seattle. It takes about four hours to cross the international dateline from there. So if you leave in the evening of Thursday the 12th, you can fly straight into Saturday the 14th. And for some reason, if you want to have an extra long Friday the 13th, you can fly back to the US from Asia early in that day and arrive just in time to experience it all over again. Now, of course, flights are scaled back because of the pandemic, but sooner or later, airlines will resume something like their normal schedules. So mark your calendar. The next Friday the 13th is this November, and then again in August 2021. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome. It's my talking scale, reminding us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please send us an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, 
please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are available for our deaf listeners by typing the tactile traveler in any search engine and by asking your smart speaker to play the podcast, The Tactile Traveler. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. We'd like to thank the following people who helped make today's program possible. Be My Eyes Microsoft Accessibility Tech Support, Apple Accessibility Tech Support, Daniel Kish, Maurice Perret, Doug Yakko, Carrie Cooper, Anahit Labar, Susan Rowan, Will Shell, Lorraine Hutchinson, Ken Barker, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Lucas Turner, and Raleigh Burley. This has been The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.